Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. Your neighbors, who you choose in some way, you decide you're going to treat 
head knowledge of Christianity. I don't know if you know the, the whole tightwalker uh, analogy. If you go to this image, this is just to remind me that I was going to tell a story. Um, and so you can look at it while I'm telling the story. There's a double thing here. Um, so uh, I don't remember exactly who told, who passed this down years and years ago, but they caught me. The person who was telling the story said, you know, there's this type rope walker who sets up a type rope between two buildings uh, in the crowded area. And she gets up on um, one of the buildings. She shouts down to the crowd. She says, I'm going to walk across this tightrope. Do you believe I can do it? And like there are four or five people who are like, yes, of course we believe you can do it. So she walks across. Everybody claps. Good job. More people gather. She says, I'm going to walk across again. Do you think I can do it? Do you believe I can do it a second time? Folks, of course. We've seen you do it. You do it before. Then she grabbed like a wheelbarrow or something. And she's like, do you believe I can walk across pushing this wheelbarrow? And people are like, yeah, do it. She goes, okay, who wants to get in the wheelbarrow? And people are like, no, I'm not. That's actually Christianity. Somebody say amen. It's not about thinking differently. It's about becoming someone else. It's a practice. It's embodied. I can in my head, which is normally where it happens, I can be, fear happens up here. Love happens like this. Fear, anger, enemies, all this stuff that happens in my psychology happens in here and it's all kind of this big soup. Love, the action of actually behaving differently, of caring for someone where they are, of speaking and listening, of actually, that's, it's active and it actually eradicates. It takes all the messy soup of who's my enemy, who's not, who am I afraid of. It, it, it takes that and it puts it in, in my hands and I get to act differently. I get to actually physically crucify the line between who's my enemy and who's my neighbor by simply acting in love. So what is that? What's that look like? Well, um, I want to look at this character real quick. If you, if you go to the next phrase, the next frame here, um, I want to I talk about this. The thing that keeps uh, us from true enemy love is most often personal injury. Comes with fear. We either become people who forgive or we cannot love. Somebody say amen. Like, what's it look like to love our enemies? To some degree, we have to move through the doorway of forgiveness. Either we've actually been, like, actually personally injured, or someone's just mere thoughts or existence threaten us, and we kind of have to have, we'll move through this process to some degree of forgiveness that they think wrongly or something before we can actually love. This is practice in body knowledge. I cannot, I, I can know it, but never really know it. In fact, that's how most folks, most folks know it, is I can't just tell you I love you. Somebody say amen. You have to believe that, which means I have to act that. Also, that's how it works in my own psychology. Do I believe you? Did I believe I, do I believe I love you? I think I do. But if I look at my calendar, my checkbook, if I look at the way I spend my time and the way I behave towards you, then I can actually know that I do. I have to live it. I've got to actually do it. Then it comes love. So this image, if you go to the next image, um, this is where I want to I dig deep. This is why I think this person's story in the Gospels is so vitally important. If Jesus has an enemy in the story, it would be Judas. Judas is, like, Judas is like the bad guy, right? Like, Judas is so much the bad guy that when we talk about other bad guys, we compare them to Judas. He's like the archetypal bad guy. He's like, he's the guy, is he not? He betrayed, this is, Judas is the guy that betrays Jesus, right? That's who Judas, that's who he is. 
He was a guy that put all these folks at risk. Like he was a spy in the midst of beloved friends. He betrayed Jesus with a kiss. I mean, he's like the worst. Bro, you are the worst. That's how I think of Judas. I, 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 in my mind, the idea of Judas is you're the bad guy. You're the enemy. You're the one who almost blows this whole thing up. But this is why we read the scriptures over and over and over again. Somebody say amen. Because the word of God is active and alive and has different things to say in different seasons that we need to hear in those moments. You can't just read the gospel once and be like, I get it. No, you don't. So when the writers of the Gospels talk about Judas, there are these moments. They certainly do identify the ways in which he betrayed Jesus, how we know the story. There are these moments when something else is at hand in the way they remember him as a person. Remember the way Jesus says it. Don't, don't resist an evil person. So let's go to the next frame here. This is Luke writing about Judas in this season in which Judas does some pretty heinous now, the festival of unleavened bread, which is called Passover, was near. The chief priests and the scribes were looking for a way to put Jesus to death, for they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered into Judas. I mean, come on, man. You've been around Jesus Christ for like two and a half, three years, and you're like, ah, Satan, maybe? Right? Called Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, he went away and conferred with the chief priests and the officers of the temple police about how he might betray him to them. Like he's with Jesus. He entertains the whispers of the devil, then leaves and goes and conspires with the people who want to kill his best friend. Let's go to this, uh, the next frame. This is Mark talking about Judas. Immediately while he was still speaking, this is a little bit down the line, talking about what actually happens when Judas does the actual betrayal trick. Judas, one of the twelve, came up accompanied by a crowd with swords and clubs. Like he brought thugs who were from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now he who was betraying him had given the signal saying, whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him and lead him away under guard. I don't know if you, like, I don't know what your story is, but the worst injuries I've ever had, the worst personal injuries I've ever had, have been from people who are emotionally that kind of close to me. Somebody say amen. No one can hurt you like the people who can get close. No one can. No one can hurt you. He walks up to Jesus, puts his lips on his face. Oh, dude is the worst. And I was in a season, I'm going to tell you the story here in a second. I was in a season in which like, I was jacked up because someone had hurt me like that. And I'm reading the text, it's Lent, and this phrase jumps out that's in both of those explanations of who Judas is. They're, they're two different writers written two different times for two different audiences, and yet the exact same phrase shows up in both of those texts. Did you see it, anybody? Go to the next phrase, the next frame here. Judas one of the twelve. What this says to me, the fact that it shows up in both, if you go to the next couple frames here, you can see it in context. What it says to me is that when the people who had lived with Judas talked about Judas for years, yes, they certainly did talk about the things that he had 
that, that he had done to betray them and to, and to betray Jesus. But when they talked about him, they still identified him as one of their brothers. Somebody say amen. That's who he was. That, this, these are the things that he did. That's who he was. Man, that makes a big difference. Somebody say amen. So go, if you go to the next frame here, you can see it in context. Satan introduced this carrot, uh, called this carrot, who was one of the twelve. That's Luke. And then go back to Mark. Judas, one of the twelve, came accompanied by. The, the, in the context, even in the context of the things that he had done to betray Christ and, and to betray his friends, you're still one of us. This changes everything. And I think this was necessary, and I think this happened because one of the folks writing these stories, one of the folks telling stories is, go to the next frame, Peter. Peter comes out real good in the end. Peter also had, during the same stretch, Judas had a really rough stretch. Peter also had a really rough stretch. Peter's story is not altogether that, that dissimilar from Judas's. Somebody say amen. Their ends are different. So let's take a look at Peter's story real quick. Go to the next frame here. This is John 18. Again, he asked him, who are you looking for? This is the moment in which Judas is betraying Jesus. And this is where, this is Peter's role in it. Who are you looking for? Again, they said, and they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you I am he. So if you're looking for me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. I did not lose a single one of those whom you gave to me. Then Simon Peter, watch it now, who had a sword. Bro, Why? You're just carrying a sword around. <laughs> Jesus walk around like healing lepers, like rescuing prostitutes. And Peter's like, just in case we got it. And what are you doing? He didn't just have it. He drew it. He took the sword out and tries to kill a dude. He didn't just, like, in the head. Tries to kill him in the head. Struck the high priest's slave and caught up his right ear. The slave's name was Malchus. By the way, this is John writing about Peter. I like reading John's take on Peter because they had kind of a thing. And John will note things in Peter's story that like, why do I need to know that? Like, why do I need to know that the slave's name was Malchus? I think John was like, this poor sucker. What's your name? Because I'm going to tell everyone what Peter did. Like, I think... Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back into its teeth. Am I not to drink the cup that the Father has given me? I mean, this is the same Peter that, like, earlier in the story, Jesus calls him Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Because Peter, Peter, he said so much, was like, that he was going to do this. Remember this? Jesus is saying, like, I'm going to get betrayed. They're going to they're gonna come after me. It's going to be rough. And Peter's like, nope, they're not going to. And Jesus Peter, what are you doing? That's not my, this is not my way. Don't do, don't be of Satan. Get behind me. But still, like in the moment, Peter's like, Peter's like I know what you said, but like, I, I've always wanted to use this. Like, what happened? Go to the next frame here. Luke 22. And when they kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Jesus has been arrested. He's on the way to crucifixion. Peter sat down among them. These, by the way, would have been people that like, Jesus was trying to inform. Jesus was trying to shape this culture. Jesus was trying to, like, reveal himself as the true Messiah. This was the same kinds of group, the same group of people, same kinds of folks that Jesus would have been gathering around to teach. Peter's now sitting among them. Then a servant girl, seeing, uh, seeing him as he sat in the light, saying, Peter, and looking closely at him, said, 
this man was also with him. I recognize you as belonging to Jesus. Was that not the point? But he denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. By the way, don't talk to women like that. Don't start with woman, son, go back to school. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you are also one of them. Peter said, man, <laughs> don't talk to men like that. I am not, bitterly. Now he's like frustrated. Do not identify me with Jesus. Next phrase. Next frame. After an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, like, like, no, I know you. I know you belong to Jesus. I know you do. Certainly this man was also with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he said to him before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept three times. Not only did Peter, during this stretch of time, betray the way of Jesus right in Jesus' face and actually try to kill someone instead of allow and believe that Jesus was actually doing what he was intended to do, but then when given the opportunity, not just to stand with his brother in his time of need, but to bear witness to the gospel and the one who is the Messiah said, I don't even belong here. I have no idea what I was talking about. Did Judas betray Jesus? Yes. Did Peter betray Jesus? Yes. Both of them did. Which is why it's so important for these men as they're talking about Judas and his betrayal, the way he became an enemy to them, for them not to recognize him as an enemy because then Peter would have to say, that's who I am as well. But I'm not. I'm not an enemy. I betrayed him, but I'm not an enemy. If you go to the next frame. John 21. Next frame. Simon Peter said, no, I'm going fishing. This is the last and the worst betrayal to me. It's one thing for, you know, for Peter to have done the things he did. Then he decides to, like, take the whole crew with him. Peter quits. He quits on the whole life. With Jesus for three years, things went down, and Peter said, I'm going. Remember where Peter, anyone remember where Peter was when Jesus found him? Fishing. You're just going to go back to your life? As if none of this mattered? As if he wasn't who he said he was? You're just going to quit? And not only are you going to quit, you're going to take people with you? Go to the next frame. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach. Peter has left. He's denied him. He's quit. He's taken a whole crowd with him. And then Jesus and goes, he just goes against him. I'm going to lose it. I love this. The disciples did not know it was Jesus. Man, we often don't. Ha <laughs> ha. Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? I love this. He's like, how's fishing going? They're like, not well. And he knows. They even said, children, you have no fish, have you? No. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. This is a little bit like going to like a, like a devil race game and like sitting in the front row and be like, have you tried choking up on the bat? Like you're not a baseball player. He's like, have you tried the other side of the boat? They're like, bro. <clears throat> so they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. So again, this is John. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter. Again, this is John. This is John being like, Peter, I know you got the whole Pope job at the end, but he really liked me more. 
it is the Lord. John wants you to know that he recognized Jesus before Peter. And then watch what John does. This is so good. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, because John told him, he put on some clothes for he was naked. I don't need to know that. But John wants me to know that Peter is in the nude in this story. He also wants me to know that before Peter jumps in the water, he puts clothes on and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat because that's a better decision. Dragging the net full of fish for they were not far from the land, only a hundred yards off. Next ring. Then Jesus said, come and have breakfast. So yeah, we're going to have a talk. Come and have breakfast. You need a snack. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew who was the Lord. Next ring. When they finished breakfast, Jesus said to, Peter, uh, said, said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than me? And he said, he said to him, yes, Lord, and you know that I love you once. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Next frame. Peter felt hurt. Come on, man. You don't get to feel hurt right now. Because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And Jesus said to him, Lord, uh, and he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. How many times deny that he knew Jesus? How many times did, Pete, did Jesus give Peter an opportunity to say, no, I want to come back? Three. And I, there may be a magic thing about the number three here, but I'm going to guarantee you that if it was 17 times that Jesus would have done it 17 times. Because you just simply cannot look hard enough or enough times that Jesus won't come get you. Period. You just can't. And that's the difference right here. That's the difference between Peter and Judas. That's it. Judas believed, watch me now, Judas believed that his wrongs and his betrayals were definitive of who he was. They are not. The love of Christ, regardless of Judas's betrayals, is definitive of who, of who Judas is. And Peter stuck around long enough to remember and to come back home. That's the difference. Go to the next ring. This is from that book that Ryan was mentioning. May I never grow tired of starting over. Somebody say amen. Or helping others do the same. My hope is always in renewal and resurrection. Enemy is a dead-end word every single time. Jesus was just trying to kill it. You don't get to do that. Because that's not who they are. You call someone an enemy the same way that Adam named the animals, you name someone enemy, that gives you this certain kind of power in their life? No, you don't get to do that. They are my beloved. I know they hurt you. I get that. Maybe you're not the one who do the work, but you don't get to define them by the wrongs they've done. Next friend. Real quick story. This is where it all comes from. So that season I was in, I'd started playing music, um, and I was traveling, which meant I couldn't be home you understand what I meant by traveling. Um, and uh, at, at the time, like digital music wasn't a thing, so I had to sell CDs, but I was gone a lot, and so there's a little conundrum, and this friend of mine said, hey, I will start and run an online store for you. I was like, oh, man, that'd be great. In order to run the online store, he had to have access to my garage, my garage door code, my keys, he also had to watch. He also had to have access to like, my bank accounts, my credit 
credit cards, and now you know how the story goes. So about a year in, I'm recognizing some anomalies in my banking. And I, I was an English major and a philosophy minor. I'm now a songwriter and, a, and an author. I don't do numbers. So I was like, these things don't add up. Maybe that's just how it goes. Uh, and my wife was like, no, he's stealing. I was like, no, he can't be. Also, I don't want to do that math emotionally or otherwise. But yeah, it was. Again, it wasn't just a little bit. It was like 2700 bucks. So I've got to do the thing I don't want to do, which is like go to him. So I, I text, and he doesn't answer. And I email, because that's when it gets real serious, <laughs> right? Like you know it's a real serious conversation. We're like, well, I have to take the email. And he didn't respond. I called. Back when we used to use our phones to call one another, and I didn't hear from him for like a week four months, five months. I didn't hear from or see him for seven years. Gone. I heard rumors he was around. And then I did a thing. Like, I started to define him. Yeah, he hurt. Because stealing money from your friends is jack. Somebody say that. Then I did the thing where, like, I defined him by the way he hurt. And I let that fester. And this is what the word does. I let it fester. If that's who you are, then that's how it will be. And I would run into friends of his, and I'd be like, have you seen him? Like, no. Tell him he owes me my money. He owes you money, and then I would tell him what he Because I'm trying to hurt it back, so I say amen. That's what I do to enemies. If you're my enemy, then we're in competition, I've got to win. If you hurt me, I hurt you back. Last room I heard was that he was back in town, he'd been out of town, he was living with his dad. I knew where his dad lived, so he hatched a plan. I think God actually loves when we make plans, like, because he's like, oh, really? <clears throat> Where are you going to be? So I had this plan. I was going to show up at his door. He's going to knock on his door. It's going to be like 1.45 in the morning, because that's like what things he really scary. Like a knock at the door in one, Knock at the door 1.45 is like, what's going on? And that's exactly what I wanted. I had it scripted out of my mind about like how I would stand in case I decided to punch him. But that I would stand that way so that he would feel that it was coming. I got to the door. It's like, what? He said, yes. I said, go get him. Like, I was like, oh, yeah. Tough guy. And the Lord was like, oh, yeah, tough guy. And then uh, dude walked to the door, and I wanted to say all the things I'd said, but the guy I had not seen for seven years standing in the doorway was my friend. Crap. This was not the plan. I wasn't supposed to recognize you as my friend. I was supposed to recognize you as the guy who stole my money. But I couldn't, because that's not who he was. And I was going to say all this stuff, and before I go over my mouth, he goes, hey man, I'm really sorry. And I, and I was like, you're not supposed to say that. And then I was like, I know. I'm like, what are you doing? He said, I want to make it right. And I said, yeah, I'd like that too. Shut up. And my plan got super, like, super taken off, like, just sideswiped by, like, the grace of Jesus. Who was like, hey, you love him. Can you remember that? Ah, I do. And it sucks because I don't want to. 
So we hatched a different plan, and the, the plan was that he would show up at my house once a month with uh, a certain dollar figure, and he would hand it to me uh, in cash or a check. He couldn't send it, he had to show up, and when he showed up and handed it to me, we had to sit down and talk about anything in the world except the debt for 15 to 20 minutes. Because forgiveness needs a plan, you can't just do it in here. Um, it took a long time to feel, to feel trust. But it was worth the work. Um, if you go to the next frame here, uh, towards the tail end of that time, that's me when I was uh, trying to be a wilderness guide. Um, <clears throat> I don't know what I was trying to do with a haircut, I swear. Uh, and that's him, that's my buddy, who asked me to marry him to the love of his life. Like, I got to have this because I did the work of forgiveness and I didn't define him by the wrongs that he'd done to me. He got to have this because he didn't, def he didn't define me in the same way. I got to... I got to marry he to his bride. And that's a really good story if it ends there. Somebody say amen? But the grace of Jesus Christ is deeper and more profound than we can possibly imagine. So it doesn't really end there. Last bit of the story goes like this, and I think the band's going to come up. So if you go to the next frame here, um, these are baseball cards just so that I remember the story I want to tell. Um, my wife and I really buy the whole neighbor thing, like actually buy it. And so when we live next to people and near people, we try to get to know them, know them. Like they're actual neighbors. That's one of those like take the Bible literally moments. And uh, a number of years ago, one of our neighbors, young girl, uh, she was seven at the time. My son was four and had a crush on her. I was hoping that worked out. I'm not sure it will. Um, she's great. Came to the door and uh, her family had come from... from uh, Central America, not, not, her father was not great with, with English yet, and was trying to find jobs, it was difficult. She came to the door and she, and she said, uh, do you have a computer I can use? And I said, uh, no, I, I mean, I've got one, but like, what, what do you need? She goes, I, I need to find out how much money these baseball cards are worth. And I was like, when did you get into baseball? She's like, I'm not, we just, we need some money. I said, what's going on? Her dad, who had gotten this like part-time job, had to buy a car, in order to get the job, and then he parked it in the wrong spot outside their house, and it got towed. And if you've ever had a car towed, like, they don't come back, and they don't, like, ask you, like, oh, yeah, it's like 50 bucks, like, like, how many kids do you have? This is what they ask you. We will have, we'll lean on your kids. So, uh, like, it was like an $800 charge to get the car back, and they don't have 800 bucks. She's like, do you, you know, find out how, how much the cards are? I was like, oh, okay. So she hands me the baseball card thing, and I'm like, um, I don't really know a lot about baseball cards, but I do know someone who does, and it's the friend from the first half of the story. So I call him up. I'm like, hey, man, um, I'm going to send you some pictures of baseball cards. Can you let me know what's in it? I flip through some of the pictures. He's like, honestly, there's not much money. He's like, maybe, maybe $35, $40. The binder that thing's in is probably worth as much as the cards. He's like, oh, all right. He's like, what are you, when did you get into baseball cards? I'm like, I'm not. Here's the story. You know, Z down the street. Yeah, okay. Oh my gosh, his car got towed. Yeah, what's he need? Eight hundred bucks. He's like, okay. Give me a minute. Let me make some phone calls. Okay. So he calls me back like five minutes later. He's like, cool, got it covered. I said, what do you mean? He goes, he goes, I'll buy the baseball cards. I said, that's really generous. Like, that's really cool that you buy them. But like, we still need like seven hundred fifty bucks. He's like, no, you don't get it. I will buy those cards for eight hundred dollars. I'll be at your house in a little while. I'll hand you the cash, remember? Just like old times. And I want you to hand that money to her and to her dad. I want you to say what you said to me. 
Everybody needs a second chance. Sometimes that happens 10 times. I don't get that moment if I define him by his wrongs. Somebody say amen. But when I decide to love him, when I act in love, I get to share in the resurrection of Jesus as it shows up in daily life. And that's what I want to do. Last frame here. I want to live in this prayer, and I think the band should be here any moment. I want to live in this prayer. May I believe that newness is possible. Honest newness. Enemy is always the dead end word. Enemy ends relationships. To do the work of forgiveness in our lives allows us to love people so that we can be part of the process, watch me now, that God is in the midst of in their lives. And may my injuries never, ever get in the way of what God is trying to do in someone else's life. So may we be a people who learn to practice forgiveness so that we can be a people who love like Jesus, people who have no enemies, that the folks around us would know that they are loved by Jesus because they've been loved by us the way we love them. Amen? This has been the City Beautiful Church Podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at City Beautiful CH. We hope you join us again soon.